Welcome to On Demand, where startup B2B SaaS companies come to grow. When it comes to demand generation, there's no one-size-fits-all solution. That's why we created this podcast, to help founders and marketers like you unlock a combination that's right for your business. Let's get into it. Blake Strozik, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Matt? Happy to be here. I'm over the moon to have you on the podcast. This has been weeks, if not months, in the making. I'm thrilled that we were finally able to sit down and talk all things ICP and SaaS. I'm really excited for this conversation. So thanks so much for joining me. Likewise, this definitely been building up, but I think we've got like a great agenda of things to talk through today. So pumped to be talking here. Excellent. It is what everybody does. They start with an intro, but people may not know you. They may not know me. So let's just go with really, really quickly, 20, 30 seconds. Like, who who are you? And a little bit of your backstory so people know uh, what you're coming to this conversation with. Yeah, sure thing. So my name is Blake Strozik, founder of Bull Media. I'm a B2B paid media and demand gen consultancy for SaaS and tech startups, specifically like earlier stage C to Series B. It's a little bit about my background. So I worked, I've worked in-house at two startups, one Series D pre-IPO, one was a uh, bootstrap startup here, small outside of Cleveland, Ohio. And then I also worked at Refine Labs, worked with six Series A through C B2B SaaS and tech startups there. So I have a lot of experience in the B2B SaaS and tech side, specifically around like demand gen paid media. So that's kind of my background. Matt, I'll pass back over to you. Yeah, so we briefly worked together when I was at Refract as well. So we've worked as colleagues for a short time. Unfortunately, it was quite a short time, but let's get straight into it. At the time of recording, where are we now? April. Every podcast, every outlet is talking about AI, particularly ChatGPT and its implications for a whole range of different sectors. Let's just spend a few minutes talking about maybe your first impressions, ChatGPT, GPT-4, and anywhere you want to go with this. Like, How do you see this changing marketing for the future? Super interesting. So I have like the GPT plus OpenAI account, right? I've played around with it. I think it's really interesting. So I think there's a broad range of applications, specifically if we're going to talk about like B2B marketing. I think where I see the most opportunity for it is there's definitely an arm on like the research and kind of like, it's like a research assistant for you, right? So whether you're researching stuff on your side for content, whether you need just kind of like an outline or prompts or any different things like that, like really that's where I see like the benefit for it for like B2B SaaS marketers. I think there's a ton of applications that we're going to continue to see like as there's agents now that can handle their own tasks. So all these interesting developments are happening in like weeks time or days even. So I think we're going to continue to see a lot more. But yeah, Matt, I, I really think I don't know what your take is. But I really think it's more around like the research side of like content marketing. If I'm going to go write a blog post, I'm going to use ChatGPT to write my first draft. And that's going to kind of give me the bones and I'll, you know, do some looking there. Or as you know, we kind of get into our conversation later today, even on like your market research, your ICP research, there's some interesting use cases that I've been testing out around getting like a, a sense of audience size or market size, plugging in, you know, hey, tell me how many restaurants there are in the UK, getting like a ballpark estimate, because some of that information is really tough to find in Google. ChatGPT, while it's not 100% reliable yet, which Google isn't either, they can give you like a quick, dirty answer. So you can kind of just uh, get that out there. So I see it on the research side. Where do you see it? Yeah, I see it as a coach. I see it as somebody sitting next to you, just improving what you do. It's not going to replace, for now at least, on GPT-4, it's not going to replace you, but it's not far off. And so for now, my goal is to use it for as, almost as a coach. So 
where I'm looking to take a particular idea, a particular piece of copy, a blog post, thoughts for the business, whatever it might be, I see ChatGPT as being there sort of by my side for me to be able to ask dumb questions. I was using it to help me with some GA4, so some Google Analytics 4 analysis earlier. And it's just that that ability to make those incremental changes quite quickly to your skill set. I think that's where it's super powerful right now, but that's not necessarily where I think it's going to go. I think thinking sort of bigger picture, I think what it's going to do to Google in particular and how it's going to start to impact on Google's dominance is super interesting because, you know, I think... I think we're in a situation where I could see where over time GPT-4 or a version of that that's integrated into Bing is effectively really starting to hammer Google's dominance in the search results. And I think actually fundamentally changing the way we think about search, Google search is query-based, it's keyword-based. GPT-4 is far more narrative-driven. It's far more interactive. It's back and forth. And so I think what it's going to do for that's key. And then what does that mean for content? There's lots of talk about how quickly you can write blog content and how quickly you can write material with GPT. But I think the deeper question is actually what it's going to do for what what actually is content on a website. Is it going to be a series of blog posts or is it going to be some sort of custom trained GPT model based on your own proprietary data? I just think the opportunities is just, it reminds me of when I first used Google for the very first time. And somebody said to me, have you tried Google? I was using AltaVista at the time and I tried Google for the first time and it blew my mind. All of a sudden, 10 results, perfect for what I looked for. So yeah, I think it's absolutely, it's so hard to really comprehend, I think, what the impact of GPT is going to be or AI more broadly is going to be for us as marketers and for society in general. So those are all interesting points. I agree with you. I love how you phrase it as like a coach. I think on the flip side of that, get your take on this. I think what it does highlight too is just how important it is of the human that's behind the operations, who's prompting it. Because I think where your differentiation comes now, I mean, it's always been this, but it's almost more defined on how important this is, is you have to have still the point of view, the story and the angle to feed the right prompts to use this as a coach to like get ahead. For example, a lot of like you talked about oh, AI is going to replace all of our content writers. Well, yeah, but like, I don't think anybody really wants to read anything that just a summary of a bunch of different things on the internet. What they want to read is like, you can use that to help you, but you can't use that to define like, what's the angle we're bringing to our market? What is our unique spin on this? Sure, you can have it do some research for you, but it's that human element of like understanding, okay, I'm selling to a group of people. They find something like this interesting, compelling, or can help them at their job. So how do I bridge that gap? So it's just there's so much like more of an emphasis now on like you have to have a good point of view and you just have to be able to really understand your market at a deep level. And then if you combine that with good expertise at prompting using ChatGPT for research, you can get there a lot quicker. And that's kind of your competitive advantage. It's like it kind of compounds if you can get both those together. Yeah, I think we're completely agreed on that. Absolutely. So people have heard enough about GPT on other podcasts. I've heard it mentioned on some very, very random podcasts. It's it's permeating through the culture. Let's pivot on to ICP then. This episode is all about ideal customer profiles. We've both worked with early stage startups. We know the importance of having a good, strong ICP. From your perspective, why is having an ICP, a well-defined, well-crafted ICP so important? So I think there's two things you have to have defined. Well, actually, maybe it's three. You have to have your total market. So who you could possibly always sell to your total addressable market, your TAM, have that defined. And then within your TAM, you need to have of these, you know, 100,000 people, 
who are the 10,000 that we really, really do well with? Who are those ideal clients that ideal customer profile that we could really sell to? And then even within your ICP, understanding like, okay, of your ICP, who could you actually win right now? For example, if you sell enterprise software and 20, 30% of your market is in a three-year contract with your competitor, well, you can't sell to them. So you have to even narrow it down further and say, who can I actually obtain of this ICP? But so like with that out of the way, I think Matt, the biggest thing on the ICP side, it's saying the right thing to the right people. Because when you are so broad and you don't have an ICP, you do a couple of things. You have really bland messaging, so it doesn't really resonate, right? You just say things like increase revenue as opposed to increase patient bookings. Like those are two of the same results, but very different messaging statements. So it's, it's messaging. The second piece of it is actually on the product side, it's product differentiation. So instead of having this like broad, like, oh, we do email automation, you could be ConvertKit where it's like, we do email automation for creators, which is a very different workflow than if you're doing email automation for an e-commerce store. So I think it's messaging, it's product, and then it's also just like your go-to-market motion in general. So like when you have an ICP and you have a well-defined profile, it's understanding, okay, how do these people like to buy? And then how can I align my process with that? Because if you just go broad and you say, oh, this entire market, everybody wants to talk to a sales rep, but then if you narrow down on a specific part of it and you're like, well, no, they actually like to get their hands on the product, then you know, okay, that should address like how we convert them from a marketing perspective, as well as how we convert them from a product perspective. So I would start it with it's messaging, it's that product element of it for like the features, and then it's like you should go to market motion. Yeah, two of the watchwords that I use so often in the work that I do is empathy and alignment. And ICP gives you that. It gives you the alignment in terms of understanding where your buyer is likely to be. And it gives you that eventually, as it's more well-developed, is that deep empathy. And that empathy comes across in how you structure your product, how you go to market, how you create content, how you do customer success, how you do onboarding. It's fundamental to that. And the broader it is and the more diluted it is, the harder it becomes to actually say anything. And so we're, we're going to get to that later on, I'm sure, in the discussion. So, so in terms of developing an ICP, give me your thoughts around where somebody should start in the process when it comes to developing an ICP. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of places to start. So the first place I would start is just where are you winning today? So looking at your current customer profile and saying, are there any commonalities between our customer base today? And then even going further on your customers, so seeing commonalities is one. The second piece is just seeing like, who is the best fit? So say you have 100 customers, you might have like five where you're like, these are perfect. Like, I wish we had 50 more of these. Okay, well, that's a really good start. So it starts from like identifying who that is. And then you kind of have to backwards engineer that and say, why are these a good fit? Okay, is it because they're a service-based business that, you know, they could do this? Or is it, you know, they're at this certain company size? Why are they a good fit? So I think you start with your customer base, you start why those are good fits. And then outside of that, it's just like looking at your total market and understanding where are there good opportunities in relation to your growth goals, right? Because you can't just have good fit customers. You also have to be, especially if you're like a VC or PE backed company, you have to understand where do we have growth potential in our market? You're not going to hit your growth goals probably going after 200 accounts, right? You probably need to broaden out past that, even if those are the perfect fit. So it's, it's a balance of that data analysis side of looking at your customer base, but also that strategic business strategy side of saying, where do we think is a narrow enough wedge where we can get specific, but a broad enough one where we can win and pick up momentum. So that's where I'd start, Matt. Where would you start? 
Yeah, so for me, I think analysis is key. So starting with a deep analysis of existing customers. So some of the people listening to this show may maybe in the very, very early stages, almost uh, before they've a product ready to go to market. But I think for those who do have a customer base already, I think understanding those customers in depth is really, really important. So things like looking at, at where your revenue is coming from, where your best retention is, who, you know, what customers are you retaining for the longest period of time? Another one I like to think about as well is who are making referrals, who are actually recommending you to other people, who are leaving reviews on sites like G2, who are vocal in their enthusiasm for the product and starting to look for commonalities amongst that cohort of people or companies to start to identify what are the commonalities amongst these people that we can say that we want to speak to more of these types of of opportunities. I mean, just bringing this to life for a second, I've worked with clients in the past where they have started with with a very, very broad ICP and have done the analysis and have honed that down to a, a smaller subset and have seen really, really clear patterns around retention, around churn, around revenue. They've seen the patterns start to emerge when they use these these frames, if you like, for that analysis. And that can be super helpful, is, is looking at who's working with you already and looking at who is a rabid fan. Analysis is definitely the key there. And I think one thing, uh, get your take on it. So there's a lot of startups that are in that stage. So one thing on like the revenue side is a lot of them don't have a good understanding of like LTV just because they haven't been in business long enough. So I think kind of my take on it, I would curious to get yours is like sometimes you have to take those data points, but you're never going to have enough data in a dashboard or a report or a deck to give you everything you need to make a decision. Like you're always going to have just enough to make a good decision. But at some point, when you're choosing your ICP, you want it to be data informed and data driven, but you do have to make a strategic bet. You have to be like, here's our data we have. Here's the hypothesis. We think we can win this segment in the market because we have this unfair advantage because we have this great fit. And then you have to go with it and try. But like, it's not a guarantee, especially when you don't have enough data to say, okay, we know we have an LTV of four years, but we've only been in business two years. Sometimes you just have to make a bet. So what do you, what do, you do in those situations where you don't, like they're so new? Yeah, I think what I like to do there is is interview, to undertake the interviews. So, and this is, I know, something that you're particularly passionate about as well, is understanding, taking the time to really understand the small group that you have in detail and not just post-sale, pre-sale as well. So what was the journey that led them to buy? Oftentimes, if it's founder-led sales, it may be through an existing network. But if not, then really starting to understand how did they come to learn about you? Where did they first find out about you? What was it that, w- that made your, your proposition so compelling for them? And actually taking the time to actually interview and talk to customers and really understand what the motivations were. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the jobs to be done framework. So using jobs to be done as a, as a way to guide that conversation is, is something that I think is really important. But yeah, just, just interviewing and developing that deep empathy. Ideally, if you've got clients who've come to you not through your own network, and, and I know that can be difficult in those early days. Yeah, no, definitely. So the next stage for me is defining the ICP. So when we come to think about how specific we want to be, how specific would you suggest that a B2B SaaS startup should be with their ICP? Do we go broad? Do we go specific? How do you kind of navigate that water? Yeah, I think it comes down to a mix of like firmographic data that you could look at versus a mix of like psychographic and then just looking at like your business as well. So it's like those kind of three buckets. When you're looking at your size, what I always like to look at with clients is if we have goals, say like we have like a pipeline goal, and then we know like every client that comes in, 
is going to, you know, be X amount in potential pipelines. So say our pipeline goes a million dollars for the year and our average contract value is 50K. So you do some like back of the napkin math. You need what? Is it 20 deals? I, I'm not really good at the mental math, but say you need 20 potential deals to hit that pipeline goal. So if that's the case, you have to look at your market size and you have to say, okay, we're probably not going to get there off of getting 200 accounts. We're not going to have 10% of these accounts coming in. We probably need to be a little bit broader than that. So it's a mix of saying, okay, what are our business goals and priorities? What is our kind of like business motion? Like, do we have little deals, medium-sized deals, large deals? And then what is that in relation to our goals? So I think that's one piece of it. The second piece, like on that uh, firmware graphic side, I think it's like understanding across like your customer base, like you are going to have some data you can use on the firmware graphic side to like define your ICP. So you can look at company size, revenue bands. I don't know what you found here, Matt, but most data I found here isn't reliable. Company size is a good proxy because you could basically just do some back of the napkin like, okay, every company is two, two to 300K in revenue per employee, or if they're startups, they're probably not at that case yet. But so I would use company size as one, industry targeting as another. For industry targeting, you know, you could get as broad as you need to or be as specific. So that's another big key piece. And then for like smaller businesses, you probably don't have to worry about this, like a smaller startup. But like geo is important when you're at a larger scale. Understanding like if we're based in the UK, can we go and sell this exact motion in Ireland? Can we go and sell this in France? Or do we need to localize for those specific regions? So I think like that's a big piece there. So it's like the the firmographic piece there. There's uh, that kind of like, you know, understanding your business piece there. And then like the third piece of how I like to define it, I called it like psychographic, but it's some stuff that you're not going to get just going into like Zoom info or Cognizant. So a good example of this is I'm working with a, a client. They're a software development shop and their ICP is service-based businesses that want to develop a digital product. No matter what database provider you go into, you will never find that as a filter because that's just not a filter. So it requires a little bit of manual research. It requires, you know, sometimes reaching out to the exact accounts, but it requires adding an additional layer of manual work on top of defining your ICP. But it's worth it, right? Because if you can narrow down to that list of service-based providers that want to develop a digital product, well, Going back to what we just talked about, you can have super, super specific messaging, a super specific process, and even sp super specific content that you're creating to kind of like, you know, generate awareness in that space. So those are like my three areas to start. Where do you start, Matt? So I'm a massive fan of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. I think that that does give you a, a really, really useful data set. But you're right. The data is not as reliable as you might hope. And I guess revenue is definitely one. Headcount is fairly reliable because it's part of the profile. So yeah, I would be using LinkedIn, but I would be using it with caution. But I, I do like that broader kind of psychographic approach. I'm working also with a client, super specific product, super specific market in the UK, recruitment agencies in the UK, wanting to speak to uh, CEOs of smaller recruitment agencies. And what that does is it just opens up so much more opportunity to develop that messaging, as you as you rightly say, because you can speak so specifically to a core set of pain points. And when you do that, your message is going across and it's resonating with the audience. And that, that for me, is, is the real sweet spot. It reminds me of, in a way, the kind of early days of SaaS, where SaaS was very much about taking manual processes, automating them, paying for software on a monthly basis, but really super specific pain points. 
it feels like a lot more like that. When you get super specific with a super specific target and you know who they are, it really does unlock a lot of opportunities. So yeah, I, I say you would definitely want to go as specific as possible without it being too constricting, without it being feeling like you are talking to a very, very small number of people. On that messaging point, as just a brief tangent away, but just like kind of, I guess, to highlight the example, it's like if you think about it, everything in SaaS and tech, it's either going to save you time or it's going to make you more money, right? It's like two things. Every software company can say, we're going to save you time or make you money, which in effect, you know, if you do either of those, you're doing uh, the other. So it's like you have to get more specific than that. You can't just say we're going to increase revenue, cut time, increase productivity. Like you have to get very specific on the outcome that you're doing. And you only do that through narrowing who you're talking to. So you can say specific, like you can't be specific with a broad audience because there's just too many different motions in their businesses. So like defining that's just so crucial. Yeah. So one of the things that I wanted to cover as well was validating. So once you have an ICP dialed in or an early version of the ICP dialed in, how would you go about validating that against, from my perspective, I'd be looking at validating it against the existing client base. Like we, we developed this ICP it's been informed by clients. We then go back to the clients and see how many of our ideal customers. Would that be your approach? Would you suggest a different approach? I would do that. I think as part of that, you know, ICP definition process, definitely talking to outside of your subset of customers that fit that profile, talking, like you said, on the customer research side, talking to prospects within that that would fall in that ICP criteria. Because as you said, especially if you're an earlier stage company, your founder-led sales you might have, you know, five, seven customers that fit that profile, but they might all be from your network and they might not have bought because they might be, have bought because of the network effect or because, you know, you knew someone or someone in your portfolio company knew somebody. But when you actually go out and talk to somebody that hasn't heard about you before, it doesn't resonate the same way with them, which in most cases that probably wouldn't happen, but it's worth checking that out. So I definitely think, yeah, check it with your current customer base, but making sure that like you don't skip the step of talking with prospects that fit that profile because a lot of people skip that step because they don't have time. It's actually really hard to get on the phone with somebody and it kind of slows down the process, but you have to do it because you're making a strategic bet about where your commercial org is going to focus their efforts from a marketing and sales perspective. So you're making a big bet. So it's worth that extra little investment of time to validate that manually. It definitely connects up with sales as well, those early, that early business development work as well. Because if you're listening to sales calls or if you've got members of your team who are recording those calls, if you have a, a larger team, you actually gain so much insight in terms of the pushback that you get from prospects. It gives you that really, really quick feedback on whether or not you are going after the right types of businesses and whether or not that's a pain point that really sits for them. Yeah, 100%. In terms of alignment, one of the things that I see in terms of that development of the ICP is making sure that there is alignment across the org around the ICP. What work have you done or, or what insights can you share around making sure that both sales, marketing, product are all aligned, senior management are all aligned around this ICP? Because for me, I think it's absolutely crucial. When I've been in a situation where the ICP has been well-defined and that work has been undertaken with representatives across the org, you get such better buy-in because everybody knows where they stand. Everybody is, is aligned against the ICP. And in contrast, where I've seen it not work so well is when, for example, say a product team is completely misaligned with the ICP and are, and are building features for, for almost their own purposes versus sales and marketing who understand very clearly who the ICP is. That misalignment can be quite damaging. Oh, it could be incredibly damaging. And it just like you, you build momentum through alignment. 
if you think about it, right? Like if you come together as an organization and everybody aligns on, well, this is who we're selling to. These are the accounts and personas we're selling to within the accounts. Then it's just super clear from a sales perspective, what your messaging is. Super clear from a marketing perspective, what your messaging is. And then it's super clear from a product perspective on the feedback you're getting and like your roadmap of what it is. And the thing is, is that you could actually have a real feedback loop between the three of those when you're all aligned. You can't have that if you're misaligned because people are talking to different people. So none of the feedback makes sense. But when you're all going in the same direction, that feedback works. So to give you an example, like you asked for, I've seen it work where everybody is really aligned from a marketing, sales and product perspective. And like you said, everything flows better. You get the inbound leads that come in and they're interested because they, you know, the messaging resonated. Sales knows exactly who's coming in and what to expect because they're doing this in their cold outreach. And on the inbound side, it's just like they're just adapting it for someone that already, you know, is aware of the benefit value prop, you know, et cetera. That really works. And then the product delivers on the messaging that sales and marketing does because everybody's aligned. Because when you don't have that, because on the other side, I've seen it where marketing makes a decision, but they don't get buy-in across the rest of the organization. And what happens is either your marketing is saying something that doesn't resonate because they're talking to the wrong people because they haven't validated this with the product team or sales, or what's happened is marketing says something, it resonates, but then when they come in, the product doesn't deliver or sales talks about something completely different. So it's so crucial. And I think the biggest like takeaway I've had, because you guys did a great job of this at Refract, I think. The biggest takeaway I've had from this is don't make assumptions or decisions in a silo. You can do some research on your own if you feel like, hey, we might have an opportunity here, but put everything together, put it in a deck, get everybody together or record a loom and then come together and say, hey, guys, I did this research. Here's why I did this. I saw this in our CRM. I heard this in sales calls, whatever it is. Here's what I think we should do. And just, you know, like make your pitch and then have everybody give feedback on it because it's going to change because they all have different experiences. But the biggest thing is that you're putting it out there for you guys to make the decision together, not just saying like marketing is going to go off and do our thing. So that would be my long, nuanced, uh, long-winded take. One of the things you mentioned was buyer personas in that. And that was something at Refract that, that we were very quick to do early on. Let's just be clear in terms of terminology here around ICP and buyer persona. So ICP is effectively the companies or company that you're trying to target. Buyer persona is then taking an, a fictional person from within that organization and starting to create a narrative around that person, around their frustrations, their pain points, what keeps them up at night, what their aspirations are. So really the buyer persona brings that to life. And I think to bring it back to the, the alignment piece, sometimes I've seen having buyer personas identified can be as helpful for the alignment because for some people actually seeing an image, reading a narrative can be super helpful. So yeah, what are your thoughts in terms of buyer persona development? So I like buyer personas. I think they're critical. I've seen it two ways. I've seen them one where it's it's streamlined and there's not a lot of assumptions baked in. And I think those are the best ones where it is like almost sharing examples of actual customer journeys. So you say like, here's a marketing director. Here's what they were experiencing. This is what they told me. So you like pull out quotes from their call transcript and you say, this is what caused them to buy. Those are the ones that I think really work. The ones that I think I've seen that be less effective 
are ones where they're just super detailed with assumed personality traits. Like this is decision maker Dan and Dan has six dogs and three cats and 42 kids. Like, okay, I'm just making up numbers there, but like they're just very assumptive. So I think for buyer personas, just focus is the biggest thing and rooting that in actual customer journeys. Those are the ones I found to be the most effective. Yeah, when I was at Wonder, we we had a whole team of people who were responsible for doing user research. And that was so helpful because then you could do exactly what you said is we're not talking about fictional characters. We're talking about actual people who purchased, but we just happen to know that their experience is fairly universal for other customers and also the customers that we want to target. And that's as well, just from a marketing standpoint, the copy that you get sometimes from these interviews is off the charts. I mean, sometimes you'll see phrases that come up in these interviews and you just think, this person should be a copywriter. This is like, this is absolute gold. So yeah, it can be rich, rich source of inspiration as well for copy and, and marketing more broadly. And also things like G2 as well. I love going through G2 to see what users write about products, but also competitor products as well. I think that can be a rich source of copy as well. But anyway, we digress. Let's think about then, it's important, I think, for people to understand that this is not just something that exists as a one-off activity, that this is a, a rolling process, something that needs to be reviewed I would say, realistically, every six to 12 months is is a fairly sensible time frame to review an ICP. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think you're exactly right in saying it's not a one-off event. Six to 12 months, I think, is super realistic. Other two things I would add to that, though, are that there definitely needs to be a clear owner. So somebody has to own this. Like, if, if somebody doesn't own it, it won't get done or it won't get done on time. And so someone has to clearly own it. So yeah, you can define your timeline, whether it's six months, 12 months, quarterly, Depends how early or mature your company is. Like if you're more mature, it probably is a little bit less because you have a very established buyer. But if you're less mature, your ICP could change pretty often as you get more feedback and have more sales conversations, more demos, more customers, more churn, all of those things. The third thing I'd add is, especially just in like today's times, which I know it sounds very cliche, but you will want to like really revisit that ICP conversation if there's like macroeconomic trends going on. So whether that's, you know, what's currently happened over the past, you know, couple months with the economy in terms of like the banking system, whether that's, you know, like, I mean, like COVID was obviously a huge like one-off black swan event. But I mean, there's even like cases looking at where, you know, like inflation and like the state of layoffs in tech, all those different things change your messaging. So if you look at, say budget freezes across the companies you're selling to, if your messaging isn't working where you're saying like, oh, like our product's going to help you with growth, you might want to revisit your messaging or, you know, even just like the product features that you're highlighting to say, okay, instead of saving you growth, this will increase productivity, right? Because everybody's tired of hearing it, especially marketers are tired of hearing, oh, we need to do more with less. But if that is what the mandate's coming from in your customers or your markets like your ICP, that's the mandate they have in their companies where they're told, hey, you need to reduce headcount by 50%, but the goal doesn't change. Well, then yeah, you probably need to shift your messaging and be in tune with that. So I guess to summarize there, I agree with six to 12 months as a general timeline. Somebody needs to own it. But I would say the third caveat is you need to revisit your ICP conversation as often as you know, as you think depending on how relevant or irrelevant your current messaging is. Yeah, one of the pitfalls I see fairly frequently, in fact, and it's analogous to product development in some respects, of as sales conversations reveal reasons why buyers state they didn't purchase, therefore mounting pressure is on product to develop 
features that speak to challenges that prospective buyers have stated was was getting in the way and i think it's similar with the with the icp you you want to make sure that you're taking on new data but you're not being extremely reactionary because you missed out on a particular deal that that may have in some cases put multiples on your revenue figures so it's a really fine line to walk between on the one hand wanting to be responsive to the feedback that's coming in from prospects but also making sure that you're not making rash judgments and and being too quick to course correct with good intentions but sometimes not necessarily with the right data i think that comes down to just when you're making that strategic bet as a team saying like based off this data based off these conversations we're going after this market you don't have to set like a, a firm like, okay, we're going to commit to this for a quarter or two quarters. It, it comes down to like the business strategy perspective. So whether that's from the founder, whether that's from sales, marketing product, you also do have to have, I think, an opinion on like, or, you know, an educated guess on like, here's where we think the product is going. And so, you know, when you do get those feature requests, like, yeah, if you get a lot of those, like if you keep losing every deal because of that, Sure, you want to revisit that, but you have a product roadmap and a marketing and sales roadmap for a reason. And so I think that's like the balance. And that's where the human talent, going back to our conversation on ChatGBT, that's where that human talent aspect comes into it, where it's like, you're never going to have enough data. So you just have to make a decision based on the best you can. And that's a perfect example to your point, where it's saying like, just make the best decision you can with the data you have. I want to now focus a little, little bit more on, on bringing this to life in the, in the real world. And in particular, I suppose, some of the myths or some of the mistakes that people make along the way. We've talked about one or two of them. One of the mistakes I often see is, is going after too many ICPs. So going after two, three, four, five ICPs, when in reality, generally over time, you start to tend towards one or two. What are your thoughts in terms of, like, it's almost like hedging. I think sometimes founders will, will hedge and they'll say, well, we go after this market, but we also go after this market and this market. Well, actually, that's completely undermining the process or the principle of the ICP development in the first place. What are your thoughts on that? The best way I've heard this said, and that I've said this as well, is just like who you're marketing to today doesn't mean that's necessarily who you're going to market specifically to forever. So just because you focus in on a specific segment of the market doesn't mean that the market that you showed in your pitch deck to investors is out the window, right? It just means like, we know that's our total market. And that's where the viableness of this business opportunity comes from. But right now, we're going to focus on this specific segment, because we have an unfair advantage here, and we can build momentum. So I think to your case, you can go onto a website and be like, Oh, we sell to eight different use cases. But they're a very small company, and you have one in house marketer or not no marketer at all. So it's like, okay, like, let's pick one use case, or let's let's look at these eight and go through that ICP exercise we just talked about, which of these eight do we fit the best with and has the most market opportunity? So it's like the intersection of those two things, because you might fit the best with one of those specific use cases. But like we talked about, if you've only got 200 of those accounts you can sell to and you're a smaller deal size, well, it's probably not worth just going after those 200. But if there's another use case where you've got 3,000 accounts to sell to and you fit really well then, well then, yeah, that's probably worth going after. So I think it's the intersection of where you have good fit and then where is there good market size? Because at the end of the day, the reason you're choosing this is because you need to hit a certain growth goal. And the way that you do that is by making a smart informed decision of where's our market big enough and where do we win enough? So that's how I see it, Matt. I don't know if you see it differently. Yeah, I do see it that way, very much so. I think one of the other things I wanted to just just double click on a little bit was this idea of people going through a buyer persona 
exercise and thinking it's an ICP exercise. I think that's it's really important to just delineate between the two. We are talking about very separate activities with very separate outcomes. Biopersona development is really important, but it is the ICP that gauges or the ICP development which guides the direction of the strategy overall. And it's important not to think that because you've set up some biopersonas and you've maybe put them into HubSpot or whatever your your CRM, that you think you've done ICP development. I think that's that's probably one of the biggest takeaways for me is that it's just being clear that ICP development is about setting the overall strategy, about where the company is going, who you're going after, and being explicit across the organization about why you're going after that audience and who that audience are. A hundred percent. Because otherwise, if you don't have that in place, then you're selling to marketing directors across all these industries and you're, you're back to being too broad, not relevant enough. Yeah, exactly. So I want to just spend a little bit of time just maybe workshopping some ideas now that we talked about ChatGPT and AI for so long. How do you think about like how AI could be helpful in this regard? We've mentioned one or two things. I've certainly got some some thoughts and ideas. So for example, transcripts of user interviews, putting those into ChatGPT and asking for it to summarize, I think that that would be a, a nice, easy, quick win. Doing that across multiple transcripts and then at the end of that, asking it to develop some ideas for blog content that might speak to pain points of those users or potentially creating some ad copy that might resonate with those ICPs. Any other thoughts? Let's just come up with some random ideas off the top of our heads. Those are some great ideas that I have not thought of, Matt. And like, I have like a transcript that like, I want to go plug in there right now. Outside of that, so on more of the research side, I think, one thing that I've used it for is, again, just like for like niche vertical SaaS solutions or tech solutions, just getting a sense of like market size. So, you know, you could plug in, again, going back to that example, like how many restaurants are in the US? And it'll give you kind of just a, a order of magnitude, the size of number of accounts that you have, which you can then use to validate against, you know, different databases that you go into or different ad platforms. So like I've used it for that. I use it for restaurants. I used it for like looking at how many hotels. These are again, like vertical SaaS solutions where you can just go into ZoomInfo or Cognizant or Apollo and just easily pull that number. I think using it for research, but I think that's super compelling what you just talked about because I have had it pull ad headlines. So I think ad headlines is super interesting. And what were a couple of the other ones you mentioned? Blog content and pain points would be a couple of others as well. But I've got, listen, I'm a complete addict to GPT, right? So don't even get me started. Like I can throw so much of this. I love it. So a good example, another one that I've, uh, I'm developing myself as well as a, as a tool is, is the ability to scrape a LinkedIn profile. And then from that LinkedIn profile, create some messaging. So if you're doing research, you could potentially develop a sales navigator list of, of uh, like say, let's say CEOs to target companies scrape the profile data, and then create some sort of personalized message, which is used as part of the research or even the sales process early on. There's so much opportunity out there. You could use it for coming up with podcast ideas for your ideal customer profile. You could develop narrative for buyer personas. So you could say, right, these are our, this is our ICP. Now develop some fictional buyer personas. There's so much that you could use it for. I think it's just it limits the imagination, I think, there. That is a fascinating use case. Like you've got like my wheels turning out. I'm like, oh, I could do it for this, this and this. So I appreciate you sharing that, Matt. Like I'm like, after we get off this call, I'm probably going to go hop on and be like, oh, let's plug in a couple of things here. Yeah, I think we're at the absolute, we're just at the, at the at the tip of the whole situation. It reminded me of the start of 2001 Space Odyssey where the uh, the apes are sitting around and then all of a sudden this monolith appears and then they get the idea to, uh, to create fire or use bone. I think we're there right now and I just think the opportunity for the future is, is phenomenal. 
So just before we wrap up, Blake, any other thoughts around ICP, any sort of closing thoughts around ICP development, words of advice, wisdom, insights for, for the listeners in terms of the ICP itself? If I was going to recap it and like priorities, it would say, don't skip over it. That's like the biggest thing is to like actually do it. When you're doing it, root it in data, so quantitative, and then root it in qualitative customer research. So that's another big piece. So define your number of accounts, define your personas, and then get buy-in across the different teams because you have a lot of smart people working with you at the company that you're at, whether you're the founder, whether you're the marketing leader, or whether you're a different part of the go-to-market organization. But get their input and because you want to get uh, you know consensus. But at the same time, have a point of view. Have a perspective, have a hypothesis. Don't just say like, here's our options. Be like, I think we can win here because of this. And so I think it's it's taking all those things, but like take action and let's follow those steps. Use the framework, Matt, just kind of like outlined here. And I think you'll have a lot of success. Excellent. And I would only add to that by just saying, build a culture of experimentation, build a culture of, of testing. And as part of the review process, all departments of the organization should feed back to one another on what they did differently as a result of the ICP development work and what were the findings of that. And so everybody, you have this feedback loop of we've experimented, we've listened, we've experimented, we've listened. And that constant reviewing process, I think, is going to be super helpful because it's not, it doesn't just become a sort of top-down exercise. It actually becomes part of the culture and it becomes part of the way that you develop your go-to-market. It becomes the way you do your business development and it becomes the way you build products. So I think by having that feedback loop in place all the time is is how everybody, you'll get that buy-in, but everyone will reap the benefits of that of that approach. Well put. Well, no, no, nothing to add. If this mic wasn't corded in, I would drop it for you. <laughs> very kind. So Blake, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. How can people find out more about you and the work that you do over at Bull there? You can find me on LinkedIn. There's two of us in the US. I am the one with the yellow profile picture. So I'm Blake Strozik at Ball Media. I respond to 99% of the DMs that come in. Might take me a couple of days, but I get back to them. Happy to always chat. I have like a free guide. If you are looking to do your own B2B ads, it's free. You can access it on my profile. So just happy to help any way I can. Awesome. Brilliant. Thanks so much for your time, Blake. Really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, you're going to be coming back as a regular guest, I hope. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. Brilliant. Thanks for your time. Have a great day. Thanks, Matt. You too.